We've been talking about a man <laughs> who was running around a marble, right? How'd this start off? God told Jonah to go. Jonah said, no. God said, whoa. And Jonah found himself sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. And then God provided salvation for Jonah in the form of a fish. And he hit dry ground. And God said, um, go. And Jonah said, okay. I want you to realize that from the shore to Nineveh is at minimum a 500-mile trip. The likelihood is he walked. Even if he had an animal with him, you're still talking about a pretty good walk, a pretty long time for him to think about what he was doing and why. And then Jonah delivers the most graceless message in all of scripture and what happens Nineveh responded to Jonah no to God we've learned a lot of things as we've gone through this story one of which is we're a whole lot smaller than we think we are can we escape from God no but then if we're in the right relationship with him, why would we want to? Chapter 4. Starting at verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, true heart repentance... He had compassion on them because that's who God is and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Big, huge principle in the story of Jonah. Huge principle. Repentance reveals God's mercy. Don't ever forget that. If you are looking for God's mercy, check your heart. And repent and move back. Those pagan sailors, they, as they called out to God, were given mercy. Jonah, as he called out to God, was given mercy. Nineveh, when they called out to God in those moments with their heart right, with full intention to move towards God. God showed mercy, and he has shown us mercy through the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. Here's another big principle. If what makes God happy makes you angry, somebody is wrong. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Lord, 
This is not what I said. I would, was this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to go to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate. Slow to anger. Abounding in love. By the way, that word there is chesed. It's that covenantal kind of love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. What do we call that? God's protection, God's blessing. Yes? Yes. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which trued through the vine so that it withered. When the sun arose, God provided an east-scorching wind, a shirako. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But the Lord said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. Angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, it died overnight, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right from their left. And many count, did you catch that? That's my left hand. The right from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned for that great city? How about it, people of God? Should God be concerned when wicked people die? Another question for you. How many times does something have to be in the scripture to be in the Bible in order to be true? How many times? Everybody hold up a number. How many times? One. Ezekiel 18, 23. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways? And live. There it is. There's your one time. Oh, excuse me. Ezekiel 18.30. Same chapter, just a few more verses down. Repent. Turn away from all of your offenses. 
then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Okay, so it's in there twice. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Ezekiel 33, different chapter. Say to them, as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? How many is that? That's at least three in one book, right? Do we get it? Therefore, your sheep, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Now, here's the interesting thing. As Ezekiel is talking, do you know who he's talking to? He's talking to the people of God. And he's not talking about pagans. He's talking about his own people who are not following him. In each case, it's God's people being called to repentant. Friends, when we delight in the death of a sinner or we scoff at someone who repents, we don't reflect God's attitude of hesed, of a covenantal love, which gets translated, by the way, in the New Testament with agape, that other-focused, self-sacrificial love. Instead, God is pleased when sinners turn from their ways and turn back to him. Oh, by the way, just one more. James chapter 5, whoever turns a sinner from his error will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Um, So, whose place is it to help those that are wicked turn to God? When God asked Jonah in 4.4, have you any right to be angry? He's not asking that question because he doesn't know the answer. Do we, people of God, who have been shown mercy, have been spared death by the cross, have a right to be angry when God shows someone else his mercy? Jonah needed an attitude adjustment. We all agree with that, yes? And sometimes we do too. How is it that God gives us an attitude adjustment? Well, he does it by exposing our attitudes to us, as he did to Jonah and consequently to the 
people of Israel as they read this story. And to us. 1 Samuel 16, 7. A man looks at the outward appearance, but God always looks where? At the heart. See, this is why I believe Nineveh truly repented. Because God wasn't looking at what they were doing. He was looking at where their heart changed. And what's with this whole vine thing? Growing one day, gone the next. I believe that's just God trying to change Jonah's attitude. You know what he's getting at, right? He cares more for a blade of grass than he does for the souls of men. What is it that we, what is it that you care for more than the souls of men. Is it comfort? How many times have you not defended Christ because it was, how was it Pendulette put that? Socially uncomfortable? Is it your reputation? Some say that Jonah was upset because he might be labeled as a false prophet if he went to Nineveh. And that would open him to ridicule. Well, think about that. Has the possibility or the reality of ridicule kept you from defending your faith? Is it moral outrage addiction? By the way, we, we get fed a lot of that, don't we? Moral outrage addiction. You know what that is? That's the love of being right so much that pointing an accusing finger feels better than extending an open hand. What about prejudice? Are we predisposed to put less value on a soul of an addict or drunk or a Muslim, a Mormon, a Mexican or other minority that our society is trying to teach us is less valuable than we are? Where has Jonah's focus been? Can you tell me? Where's his focus been? On himself. And where is God's focus? It's on the souls he created. It's on something other than himself. Family. We are never more like Satan than when all of our focus is on ourselves. And we are never more like Christ than when our focus is on other people. You know how I know that? God was telling us that 700 years before Christ came. What matters to God is to matter to us. Now, here's why I think this story was 
recorded and, and, and why it's important to Israel at this particular point in time when Jonah lived. We, we have to look at the context. We have to look at the, the bigger picture. Remember, we talked several weeks ago that Jonah was the prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. We actually find a dating for him in 2 Kings 14.25. We have that nailed down for us. Assyria is the up-and-coming power. They are a dominating, viciously cruel world power, and Nineveh is becoming its capital. In fact, the Israelites were already sending tribute to Assyria as much as 80 years before Jonah comes on the scene. We've placed the writing of Jonah right about 760 B.C. Why is that important? Because in a mere 15 years, Tiglath-Pileser III is going to come in and annihilate the northern kingdom of Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth in 745 B.C. Now, Jonah was not the only prophet at the time. There were some in the southern kingdom and some in the northern kingdom. Amos and Hosea were prophets in the northern kingdom at the time. Amos and Hosea are both giving a turn or burn message to the northern kingdom of Israel. Both of them see Assyria as being God's weapon of discipline against the northern kingdom of Israel. Both are calling the people to repent and turn back to God. So Jonah is written in that same time frame where people are having the same problems and the people's attitudes are exactly the same. And yet he yet this book what happens with Jonah God is taking a different tactic it's a different yet related message. In fact, what Jonah presents is a positive alternative that's available if the people of God will just listen and act. What was this book meant to convey to the wayward people of God at the time it was written? Just a couple of things I think are still prevalent today one contempt for souls God created is not a godlike attitude in fact it is sin hating Nineveh did absolutely nothing to avert the problem that was looming over the northern kingdom of Israel have you ever stopped to think that Jonah, giving this graceless message, saw that whole city turn on a dime. What do you think would have happened if anybody from Israel would have gone over there and taught them about the God they were praying to? What's, what's the term we use? Um, disciple? Right? Somebody who learns in order to teach somebody else. 
I can tell you what happened when they did not do that because it's a part of history. Their hate of Nineveh ultimately led to the destruction of the northern kingdom. Second point, national problems are heart problems. You see, Jonah's heart issue reflects Israel's heart issue all through time. Does Jonah's attitude change after being called out twice by God? I got three words for you. Do you know what they are? I don't know. Scripture really doesn't tell us. In fact, the story ends hanging on the question. Yes? The words hang in the air like a thick fog. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe we're not to focus on whether or not Jonah repented, but rather we're left to contemplate whether we're going to repent or not. Think about this. If Jonah represents the attitudes, the actions of Israel, they had that one point. If they just would have changed, that could have changed the history of the world. If the people of God will take their covenant with him seriously, the Ninevites would have responded to that. Can you imagine how much more repentance could have happened if they had the whole truth of God? The story of Jonah presents that positive alternative. All the people of God really need to do is be the messengers that he intended us to be. Jonah represents a simple plan for changing the world in any generation. It comes down to this. See people as God sees them. See people as God sees them. Then disciple them. Love them enough to get past their crusty exterior. To get past your own issues. And teach them about the one who created them. And loves them. And wants them to come home. Teach, engage, encourage, and then release them to disciple someone else. And see how God will melt, mold, and change their hearts and yours as well. Friend, as we've recognized, Nineveh is, is all around us. 
This is something in every generation. We complain about our world, our government, the sin in our city, and then we sit back and hate it all just like Israel. We sit back and we wait for it to wipe us out. Or we could take advantage of the opportunity God has placed before us and change our hearts, our attitude and even our world by becoming the disciples who disciple others willing to see through God's eyes bringing souls to Christ one relationship at a time friend where are your vines Have we become too complacent because of God's blessings? Are we too comfortable to care about the world anymore? Has our blessing become our curse? Are we like Jonah? Or are we worse? Our God still cares and he chose you and me to tell the world that his son died on a tree to redeem the lost and to bring them home to restore the wayward prodigal as heirs to his throne. When we focus too much on our own little lives and ignore our godly orders, it is us he will despise. Our faith must show outside these walls And out from the overhead steeple. We have to realize it isn't about us. To God, it's all about people. Father God, we thank you. For Jonah, for his struggles, for allowing us to learn positives and negatives from history. Where we see your hand shaping and molding your people, those who dedicate their lives to you. And Father, we thank you for that grace that comes from the cross. We thank you for the fact that we know that it is still changing lives today. But Father, may we also be willing to have our lives changed. To move closer to you. And to follow you where you are already at work. And to join you in the work you're already doing. As we come to this this time of invitation, this time of response. May we hear what your spirit has been saying through your servant Jonah. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Jonah was given a second chance and Nineveh was given a second chance. And friends, you know all of us have been given a second chance. If you need another chance today, take the opportunity today to move closer to him. If you need to do that, praying with him while the rest of us sing, just go right ahead. We'll carry the tune. If you need to dedicate your life to him, if you need to be buried in the waters of baptism, to be covered with the blood of the cross, to be made new, make that decision today. Come as we stand and as we sing.